It's the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, September 15th. It promises to be a busy weekend in the tennis world. We have multiple events on the calendar, WTA level action in San Diego and Osaka, five different challenger events on the calendar, of course, most notably for us here at Cracked Rackets, that carry challenger, which of course features the perfect nexus of future, current, former college tennis standouts. You've got Davis Cup action happening around the globe. You've got another weekend of Ultimate Tennis Showdown matches. The fun exhibition series put on by the Mortoglu Tennis Academy. Of course, for us here at Cracked Rackets, we are live in Edmond, Oklahoma, where Friday, Saturday, we will have the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation open in an inaugural event featuring all sorts of entertaining, intriguing tennis players. An event I know all of you listeners will want to tune in on. You can Follow it on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Again, Friday, Saturday, we start today, 7 p.m. Central Time. We start Saturday, I believe, at noon Central Time. So all of that said, a busy weekend in the tennis world. What I want to do for all of you listeners here on today's show is set the scene. Where do things stand right now in San Diego, in Osaka? What are the storylines you should be following, not just at the challenger level, but certainly to see Novak Djokovic participate in Davis Cup for the first time in a long time? That feels particularly notable for tennis fans. I guess we can talk through who's playing at that Ultimate Tennis Showdown event. I won't lie. It's the lowest on my priority list of things to follow in the tennis world this weekend. But as I mentioned, it's a busy weekend. We got multiple events. Felt like it would probably be best for me to help set the scene once again for all of you listeners. I had hoped to offer a second podcast to you all yesterday. Simply put, we just had too much fun at our Oklahoma Tennis Foundation Calcutta, an event leading up to today's tennis. So this will be the makeup podcast for that proclamation. Again, I want to run you through through all of this weekend's action. Where do things stand? What are the storylines you need to watch for? Of course, the reason we're able to do all of that day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is, of course, because of the support we get from all of you listeners and because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. Of course, you use our promo code at checkout. Not only we let them know we sent you there. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-Point, symbol not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's talk this weekend's calendar of events. Let's start with our two tour-level sanctioned event. That, of course, is the WTA 500 events. Excuse me. That, of course, is the WTA 500 in San Diego. You also have that WTA 250 in Osaka. It is a fascinating field of semifinalists as we approach Friday's matches in San Diego. And if you listened to Wednesday's Mini Break podcast, a couple of these names I was very high on. I listed them as my most consequential players coming into this week of action. Certainly, 
if you watch Danielle Collins play at all during this North American hardcourt stretch. Yes, she blew a match point, ultimately knocked out by Elisa Mertens in round number two of the U.S. Open. But Collins, as a qualifier, made the quarterfinals in Montreal look Excellent in doing so. Straight set wins over Sakri, over Fernandez before getting knocked out in three by Sviantec. I know she lost to Iga the next week, round of 32 in Cincinnati. Again, second round loss at the U.S. Open. That doesn't sound like the sort of you know, put the stamp on the fridge results that we know Danielle Collins is capable of, but it was very much an eye test thing. It was very much a vibes thing. Just watching Danielle Collins compete in Montreal, in Cincinnati, in her first round victory, 6-2-6 love over Linda Fruvertova, just felt like the 29-year-old Danielle Collins, she felt back for a lack of a better term, felt like she was swinging freely, felt like she was playing loose tennis in the best sort of sense, and you know, for someone as aggressive as Collins from the baseline, she needs to be swinging freely, she needs to be willing to take that additional risk, have confidence that in doing so, Ultimately, she will find herself in the winner's circle, and that's been the story for her this week in San Diego. Wins over qualifier Luisa Chirico, a three-set win from a set down over Yelena Ostapenko, and I believe Collins was down a set and a break in that match, took an injury timeout, won five consecutive games to force a third. The third set was just the exact sort of slugfest you would anticipate. When you have a Danielle Collins on one side of the net and a Yelena Ostapenko on the other. But, you know, more than anything for Collins, who then yesterday a 6-2-6-3 victory over Caroline Garcia. I think she served particularly well this week in San Diego. And, you know, obviously against Garcia, she didn't face a break point yesterday. It was a particularly frustrating performance for Garcia, who I, I, I swear to God, the script of every match for Caroline Garcia is exactly the same. Either she's fo- she's found her rhythm early in the match on the return of serve. She's taken that ball early on the rise, getting to the net even in her own return games and just taking the racket out of her opponent's hand. Or that strategy just doesn't work. And she's either leaving returns short, she's sending returns long, she's just not finding the sort of rhythm that we saw from Garcia throughout the majority of the last six months of 2022. That rhythm wasn't there for Garcia, although for Garcia to get to another quarterfinal, to get a good three-set win over Sloan Stevens this week, pretty status quo week, I would say, overall for Caroline Garcia. But again, for Danielle Collins in reaching the semifinals here in San Diego, she's back up to number 33 in the live rankings, considering she will be 30 at the start of next season. I think that's right where she wants to be towards what will be certainly the back half of her pro career. You're still getting into every event you want to play. You still have a shot at being seated at certainly the majors, and you have a good performance there. Maybe you can get seated at the Masters event. Now the draws start to open up. Life just becomes a little bit easier for you. Again, you look for Danielle Collins. She's now won 11 of her last 14 matches. Slowly but surely, excuse me, three plus Five is eight, nine, ten of her last 13 matches. I counted the Krejcikova match, which obviously has yet to be played here today on Friday. You win 10 out of 13, you have found some sort of rhythm. And again, for Collins, she just was better than Caroline Garcia at everything yesterday. Garcia had one speed, first serve, first strike, get to the net. 
Obviously, Danielle Collins plays with not only the sort of confidence, but the sort of firepower that can just disrupt that sort of game style's rhythm. And that's what Collins did from the start. Again, for her to weather the storm, the big hitting of Ostapenko, particularly in set number one, to take advantage of the slower hardcourt conditions in San Diego, which are perfect for her because it gives her a little bit extra time to track down the ball. While, of course, Danielle Collins' baseline power, she can hit through any court. So that's never an issue. Collins through the semifinals. You look for Danielle now overall on the season. She moves to 20 and 16. And, you know, perhaps most notably, this is her first semifinal since February back in Austin, Texas, where she was knocked out ultimately in the semifinals by eventual champion Marta Kostyuk. Second semifinal of the season speaks for uh, the sort of year Danielle Collins has had just, you know, 20 and 16 overall. And, you know, obviously last year she was only able to play 33 matches to date this season. She's played just 36 matches, no tennis really between the, she played what, a total of one, two, three, four, five, six total matches between uh, seven, excuse me, from the end of that Austin event to the start of Montreal Slowly but surely, regaining a rhythm. Slowly but surely, refinding her form again. It's a big week for Danielle Collins to get to the semifinal. And, you know, now she's going to face a Barbara Krachikova, who is also looking to find any sort of rhythm heading into the season's home stretch. And look, there's still a big pocket of points for Krachikova to have to defend this year. Some of you may remember, obviously, she dealt with a ton of injuries in 2022, but at the end of last year, Krachikova able to win a title in Tallinn, able to beat Iga Sviantek on her way to a title in Ostrava. You know, both of those tournaments are coming up on the horizon. Those are serious points for Krachikova to have to defend. And so for her to reach a semifinal at a 500-level event here in San Diego, get good straight set victories over Kalinina, over a Haddad Maya. She's been broken just three times combined in those first two matches. I mean, this is a Krachikova who had lost four consecutive matches, who had lost five of her last six, dating back to that final in Birmingham in the middle of June. You know, this is just the third semifinal of the season for Barbara Krechikova. And obviously, again, had that run to the title in Dubai where she was wonderful. Through the first two months of the year, it just felt like you combined Ostrava with those first two months. It felt like Krechikova was fully back. Then she really struggled during the clay court season. I wouldn't, I would argue not a single notable result. She obviously makes that final in Birmingham, but then the second round exit at Wimbledon, she loses first round Cincy, first round Cleveland, first round U.S. Open. Krechikova needed to get healthy. She needed to right the ship. This was, again, we talked a couple of days ago about how difficult a position San Diego is on the calendar because you just finished the U.S. Open. You've got the Asia swing, the Europe swing, and then back to Mexico for Guadalajara swing. It's a tough spot on the calendar for San Diego. That said, it's the perfect spot for top players who had struggled with their form or maybe took an early exit in New York. And for Krechikova, it's all of the above. And so... Again, Haddad Maya just couldn't hurt her. It just felt like everything was in rhythm. It felt like Krechikova was extending through that forehand in ways that, you know, again, she just hadn't been able to do comfortably in any other of her North American hardcourt losses. It's a fun matchup. Krechikova, Collins, two players, when at their best, have been top 10 players in the world. And, you know, two players who I still think will have a say in the ne- how the next three years certainly play out on the WTA Tour before perhaps they're supplanted by 
this next rising young generation of names. Again, big semifinal for Krejcikova, big semifinal for Collins to uh, steady the ship. Third of the year for Krej, second of the year for Collins. First career head-to-head between these two. That's actually a little bit surprising. And for what it's worth, Danielle Collins is a favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, 50.9%. Collins, by the way, one of three former NCAA women's singles champions now in the top 50 of the live rankings. You have Danielle, a two-time NCAA champion, Peyton Stearns, who, of course, reached the fourth round of the U.S. Open last week. And now you have qualifier Emma Navarro. Navarro, the 22-year-old, up to a new career high, number 49 in the live rankings as she reaches the semifinals of uh, the biggest semifinal of her career in San Diego. And, you know, to watch Navarro, this was the match I was locked in on more than any else. 7-6 in the third. She knocks out Maria Sakari to advance to the semifinals. And, of course, she came through qualifying at this event. Uh, her six-love second set dropped to Maria Sakari, the only set she's dropped throughout the duration of the week. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Emma Navarro's ability to never look rushed on court, to never look rushed, excuse me, on court. Her ability to, you know, again, the ground strokes, there aren't a bunch of moving pieces. The forehand technique is flawless. That's the ball where she has time. She can absolutely whip through that ball um, and create openings for herself. The backhand steady, absorbs, redirects pace, I think, very well. She can play slice on that backhand wing. She anticipates well. She's a good first step. She's not the most fluid of movers, but she's certainly not a bad mover by any stretch of the imagination. And again, fifth match of the week, she out-physicaled Maria Sakari down that home stretch, 7-4 in the third set breaker. It just felt... Navarro's got... Big match chops. I don't know how to explain it. Her calmness. Just she always seems focused on the task at hand, never overwhelmed by any given moment. And again, she's a former NCAA singles champion. I always say it's invaluable to have once been the best in the world at something. And again, it's a small subsect of humans, but she was the best college tennis player in the world there for a hot second. You know, again, what's so amazing, I know Ben Shelton's had the signature runs, the Australia quarters, the U.S. Open semis, but what Emma and Peyton have done is just more impressive over the last 18 months to have gone through, you know, Emma Navarro started this year playing 25K events in Naples, Florida, wins a 25K the first week of the season, makes the final of a 60K the second week of the season. She played a 25K as recently as April to try and get a few matches under her belt, but Obviously, this summer, she makes a final of 100K on grass. She makes a final of a 125K on clay in July. She, you know, again, now reaches uh, uh, reaches a quarterfinal in Palermo on the clay at the tour level. And now she's into a tour level semifinal here in San Diego. I'm fairly certain this is her first tour level semifinal of her career. And, you know, again, deservedly so. Oh, no, second. Tour level. She made the semifinal in Bad Hamburg earlier this season. Good memory, Alex. But now you look for her this year. Quarterfinals in Strasbourg, uh, semifinals in Bad Hamburg, quarterfinals in Palermo. Now semifinals here at this 500 level event in San Diego. I mean, you look for Emma so far. She's what, 58 and 27 in her last 52 weeks. That's over a two thirds win percentage. She's 19 and 13, uh, I believe, at the tour level this season. That's a top 50 player, folks. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And again, 
if you watched her at all at, in college, she was just never tested. It was never a doubt in my mind that Emma was displaying top 100 level tennis. And, you know, we've seen that so quickly manifest itself in the results. And why I say that about Emma, she never once looked rush in college. It just never looked like an opponent could hurt her with any sort of ease. Now, again, shout out Abigail Ranchelli. Uh, yeah, Abigail Ranchelli, who dealt Navarro her final loss of her college career in the NCAA, I believe, round of 16 back in 2022. And Ranchelli played loose. She played free. She hit the ball massively that day. But again, it required that sort of -of out-of-body effort to beat Emma in college. And when you're that much better than the rest of the college field, I'm sorry, but we went through the examples with John J. Parsons on our Great Chat podcast on Monday. You think about the Somdevs, the Stevies, the Isners, you know, the Nicole Gibbses of the world. Yes, they may not have reached a top 20, a top 15, but all those players went from the college ranks to the top 100 of the pro ranks in about 12 to 18 months. And, you know, again, if you watched Emma at all in college, that shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a surprise to you to see her make this sort of push. And again, how fit she has become, how, how well she continues to improve herself on the margins. I think she's become a better volleyer as well. And again, she's always been so steady, so poised mentally. You saw that on display in the third set, in that third set breaker in particular. It just felt like Sakari was serving and forehanding herself out of the match. And I mean, look, for Maria Sakari, she gets a win over Kami Osorio round one, knocked out in these quarterfinals, 29-19 and 19 now overall on the year. She's reached seven different quarterfinals, but, and this is actually her first quarterfinal loss of the season, but Again, Maria Sakri entered the week ranked nine in the world. She's certainly currently sitting at nine in the live rankings, actually 510 points up on 10th place Caroline Garcia. That said, you know, Sakri's got serious points to defend at the end of the year in Guadalajara. And right now she's 16th in the points race. So there really is a world where, you know, again, t- come the end of the year, we see her 13, 14, 15 in the rankings out of the top 10 for the first time. Still a little bit of runway for her to make a push. But again, shout out Emma Navarro. That was your win on the of the day on Thursday. And if you haven't seen Navarro again, she just, she has it. The poise, the demeanor, the forehand, the fluidity, She's going to be in the top 75 of the WTA rankings for quite some time. I don't know how high her ceiling is. I, I don't think that ceiling is top 10, top 15, because while she's good at a lot of things, I don't know if she's elite at any one specific thing. But guess what? You don't have to be elite, except for how she competes. But you know, you don't have to be elite at everything to be a top 50 player. And guess what? If Emma Navarro, well, I mean, again, it's worth noting Emma Navarro, daughter of Ben Navarro, billionaire. Money is not an issue for Emma Navarro moving forward. And yet again, that is that has not that, that is not to speak at all about her character, about her work ethic, just because she is the daughter of a billionaire doesn't mean she doesn't want this with every fiber of her being. And you know, again, she's gonna make a real living on her own. She's top fifty in the world. She's going to be in the top fifty, in my opinion, for the majority of the next decade. It's just a very smooth game. It's you know, again, her ability to absorb, redirect on both things, and then amp things up when it's time on the forehand. I've always been in on Emma Navarro, but perhaps this is the week, given the lack of action elsewhere in the world, that you were able to focus on her. That's the quick scouting report. Probably too long on that. But look, again, 
It's a fascinating set of semifinals. Collins versus Krachikova. Emma Navarro, a 37% underdog as she's going to take on Sonia Kennan. And I mean, for Sonia Kennan, this is her first relevant semifinal since, I mean, do you consider Hobart relevant at the start of the season? Maybe not. You look in terms of semifinals uh, Sonia Kennan has made in her career. Is this the most relevant one since Roland Garros back in 2020? Maybe because, I mean, again, she's made three semifinals total since making that Roland Garros final back in 2020. She reached a semifinal at an 80K in Tyler, Texas. She reached a semifinal earlier this season in Hobart. Now a semifinal here in San Diego. Victories over Kudermatova, Volley Nets, and then two and three over Potapova yesterday to get to the semifinals. I mean, the variety the ability to beat you to the spot. She's moving so much better than she was even four, three months ago. You know, certainly has ridden that Wimbledon momentum she built, getting through qualifying at Wimbledon, reaching the third round there, beating Coco Gauff first round. You know, didn't play between Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, but wins a match at the U.S. Open, three sets with Kasatkina. Now, into the semifinals, a top 20 win over Akuta Matova, a top 30 win over Apatapova, a three-set come-from-behind win against the always physical Katie Volinets. I said it at the start of the week. Sonia Kennan top 50 watch is one of the biggest storylines, in my opinion, down the 2023 season's home stretch because Kennan's one of what? Like seven, eight active players with a slam title to her name. And, you know, despite... All the adversity she's dealt with over the past couple of years, Kennan's still 24 years old. You know, back up to number 63 in the world now. Another win, she'll be back up to number 53. I still have faith in Sonia Kennan, uh, in the Sonia Kennan comeback that she will get herself back to the top 20 of the WTA rankings because, I mean, again, she might have the most diverse skill set of shots in her bag of tricks. Maybe anyone on the tour. I mean, was she Jabur before Anz Jabur made her big breakthrough? Some scholars would argue maybe. It's a massive moment for Kennan, who, by the way, a very winnable match. She is the favorite against Emma Navarro, even though Navarro is the higher-ranked player right now. And despite the amount of tennis they've each played in the last 18 months, Kennan is the more experienced player she is the more credentialed player coming into this San Diego semifinal. And so, you know, again, across the board, why is this such an interesting event? Kennan versus Navarro. Navarro on the rise. Kennan trying to make her return. You have Barbara Krachikova looking to find any sort of form heading towards the season's home stretch. And a Danielle Collins, who I do think very quietly has started to play top 20 tennis during this North American hardcourt stretch once again. So Kennan versus Navarro, Krejcikova versus Collins are your matchups. Three Americans into the semifinals of event. I believe that's the first time. I know Parsa tweeted it out yesterday, so I'll look that up on my Twitter account. But it's been a long time or a healthy amount amount of time since we had three Americans all reach the semifinals of an event. In fact, it's the first time in 20 months. Navarro, Kennan, Collins, the first to do it since Keys, Risk, and Goff did it back at the 2022 Adelaide event. So again, big week for the Americans in San Diego. Kennan versus Navarro, Krachikova versus Collins. Collins a 38.4% favorite to win the event, but Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast is screaming, hey, it's Krachikova versus Collins in the semis, and that's your de facto championship match as well. That said, 
20 minutes on San Diego was more than I anticipated, so we'll rapid fire through the rest of these here. I won't lie, I do have a few things I have to accomplish while here in Oklahoma. Let's move next, though, to the Osaka Tour level event because, again, it's a breakthrough moment for a couple of young players, whether it's uh, Ashlyn Kruger, uh, who reaches the semifinals of this event in Osaka. I believe it is her second career semifinal. No, first career semifinal in what is her second career quarterfinal here this weekend. I mean, welcome to the top 100, Ashlyn Kruger. With this result, Kruger smack dab number 100 in the live rankings. Now, she can still get past, given there are a couple 125K events going on this week, some lower-ranked players still on the, you know, Ocean Doden, who's in the semifinals at a 125K. She's eight points behind Kruger, so... If Dodan wins one more match than Kruger, she'll jump Kruger. She'll take control of that 100 spot or at least push Kruger back down a spot in the rankings. Still, for the 19-year-old Ashlyn Kruger, you want the list of teenagers right now in the top 100 of the live rankings? Here we go. Coco Goff, Linda Naskova, Mira Andriva, Diana Schneider, Ashlyn Kruger. That's your list. And by the way, both Fruvertovas, Linda, Linda's fallen out of the top 100, Brenda 121, Players like Maria Timofeva, Celine Neff, Robin Montgomery, Erica Andriva, Nomanoa Akugwe. All names we've heard about recently, they're all ranked behind Ashlyn Kruger at this point. And I'm telling you, if you haven't seen the 19-year-old American swing freely, she has, again, not full privileges, but she can come caddy now. 19 years old, we're looking for caddies at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. We always extend those invitations to players we want to keep an eye on moving forward. Just get them in the mix now. Have them hang out with their fellow power tennis players. I mean, Ashlyn Kruger's on the list. She blitzed the always tricky Anna Kalinskaya 6-3-6-1 Kruger winning 83% of her first serve points. She's 3-for-3 in terms of break points saved. So unbroken in the match. She's yet to drop a set this week. And yes, it's been an opportune draw here in Osaka. But don't hate the play. I hate the game. Again, Ashlyn Kruger knocks out the player who, according to Tennis Abstract, going into the quarterfinals was the favorite to reach the finals from that bottom half of the draw. Things had just opened up so well for Kalinskaya. And Kruger said, no, no. I'm going to make my way through uh, to my first career tour-level semifinal. So that's the case for the 19-year-old again. The technique is so easy. Yes, the backswings are a little bit big, but the racket speed. I'm in. I'm in on Ashton Kruger. I have been for a couple of years now. Uh, Good to see her with a significant breakthrough result. And again, top 100 watch to end the season. You end the year top 100. Now Kruger's headed to Australia for those opening events. She's headed to Australia, main draw for the Open. It's a good spot for the young American to be in. I think she's going to reach her first final of her career at the tour level tomorrow as she's going to take on my Hantama. Hantama, the three-set win over former Mississippi standout Ariane Hartono in yesterday's quarterfinal battle. 6-1 in the third. Top half of the draw, though, is where it's happening. Shout out to Elizabeth Mandlick. Her brother Mark's competing this weekend here in Oklahoma. But uh, you look for Elizabeth Mandlick. The qualifier did reach the quarterfinals here in Osaka, knocked out by top 40 player and Joaquin, 2023 Joaquin champion, Ju Lin. I said this on Wednesday. I'll repeat it again now. Ju Lin versus Wang Xinyu was always going to be the de facto title match happening in the semifinals. And Wang Xinyu did survive 6-3 in the third over the always tricky Yulia Putenseva. 
look, the righty from China has had a breakthrough year. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. 21 years old, currently sitting at a new career high, 36 in the live rankings. You look for Wang Xinyu now in reaching the semifinals of this event. It was win number 34 of her season. She's now reached three different semifinals this year, six different quarterfinals here on the season, and four of those six happening at the tour level. All six, by the way, coming on hard courts this year. Righty moves well. Again, her serve, her forehand, they're not elite weapons, but they're very good weapons. For what it's worth, Julin Tuno in the career head-to-head between these two, but it's a fun battle. I'll have my eyes on it tomorrow. Again, semifinals, Wang Xinyu versus Julin, two top 50 players in Osaka. Again, massive opportunity for Ashlyn Kruger. My Hantama, you look for Kruger. It would be her first career tour-level final, would be her third final of the season. She won 125K earlier this year, lost in a 60K final in Charlottesville to Emma Navarro. You look for my Hantama, would be her second final of the season, but the first tour-level final of in the career of the 25-year-old from Japan. So that's where things are in Osaka. Again, Wang Xinyu versus Julin, Hantama versus Kruger. Right now, Wang Xinyu, the favorite to capture the event, 38.8%. But again, each of these matches, Wang Xinyu, a 53.8% favorite against Julin, Kruger, a 55.9% favorite against Hantama. So again, it's really anyone's game. San Diego, Osaka, really fun events. You've got four Americans still alive. Come on. Kennan, Navarro, Kruger, Collins, Krechikova's refinding her form. Julin versus Wang Xinyu. Again, the two top-ranked Chinese players right now in the WTA singles rankings. It's lock in. And that's just the single side, by the way. We could talk about the doubles perhaps this weekend. But lock in, folks. It's going to be a fun weekend of WTA Tour level action, of course. For what it's worth, just quickly, superficially, semifinals at the one twenty five at one of our 125Ks will be Miriam Bianca Bulgaru versus Marina Basols Ribera. Uh, other semifinal that match, Tamara Zadanzik taking on Zainep Sonmez. And in what is the least surprising news of the day, Zidanezic, former French Open semifinalist, 55.8% favorite to win that 125K on clay. At the 125K in Bucharest, you got to give a shout out uh, to Astra Sharma, the former Vanderbilt All-American, is through to the semifinals. You look for Sharma. She's up 30 spots as a result of this week, back up to number 186 in the live rankings. Gets a very good win over the always tricky top 100, Anna Bondar. Uh, Bondar out of the top 100, by the way, now currently sitting at 104, is the veteran uh, from Hungary. Sarah Irani knocks out the talented German teenager Nomonoha Akugwe, 5 and 2 to advance to the semifinals. Again, Jacqueline Christian going to take on Maria Carla later today. Uh, Simon Stasia taking on wildcard Anka Alexia Tadani. Alexia Tadani doesn't turn 19 years old until October of this year. If you haven't watched her play, give her a look. 19 years old, currently 281 in the world, has had a lot of ITF success this weekend. Should she make a big breakthrough run here? By the way, her opponent, Semenstasia, 21 years old, out of, uh, excuse me, turns 21 tomorrow. So wouldn't that be a gift for her to reach the biggest final of her career with a victory? Semenstasia uh, has made five different ITF finals this year, four different titles, currently sitting at a new career high. 143 in the rankings entering the week. Uh, She, I believe, uh, with this result, new career high. 
Um, I want to see where did she go. Uh, 130 for the Latvian 20-year-old. Uh, 130 in the live rankings. So again, maybe a couple of names you haven't have heard yet in your tennis viewing experience. But should there be a breakthrough from either of them? Again, I know it's my job to keep you up to date. What do their game styles look like? So we'll have that update for all of you perhaps later in the weekend. That's the women's side of things. We're going to rapid fire through the men's side of things. Now you start with the carry challenger. I mean, as expected, Ranky Hijikata, now a top 90 player in the world, wins over Pedro Rodinus, Christian Langmo, a couple former college. Oh, Rodinus, a rising sophomore. Langmo, a former standout at Miami. Hijikata's through to another challenger quarterfinal. He's going to sustain his top 90 ranking. He's getting into the Australian Open singles main draw on his own. Of course, he will take on first-time challenger quarterfinalist Pedro Vivez. Vivez, of course, the rising junior for TCU. So quick. Does a great job turning defense into offense. There are some similarities between he and Hijikata. Hijikata a little bit more explosive, a little bit more comfortable moving forward. I thoroughly expect Hijikata to win that match, of course. Your other quarterfinals, Tennis Sandgren, who gets a straight set win over Ty Kwiatkowski. He'll take on former AM standout Patrick Kipson. Kipson, a very impressive 5-3 and three win over former Tennessee All-American Adam Walton in the round of 16. I'm telling you, Kipson's technique is so easy, but that serve, that power on his forehand, again, his ability to drive through the backhand, Kipson's got real strength. He's got real weapons, and he hasn't always been the most fluid in terms of in the corners, in terms of, you know, again, improvisational skills, but when he's on his front foot, he can be dangerous, and you look for Patrick Kipson right now, currently sitting at a new career high, 257 in the live rankings, so shout out to the 23-year-old looking to get himself at a minimum into the Australian Open qualities mix, has certainly done so here with his results in carry. First quarterfinal for South Carolina's Toby Samuel. He's going to take on two-time Kalamazoo champion Zach Spida. I like the weapons of Samuel better. The serve, the forehand, I think are a little bit bigger, but Spida is just so well-rounded. Spida 1-0 in the career head-to-head, beat him 5-0 on the grass courts in Surbiton uh, earlier this summer. I think hardcourt's even better surface for Svita, so I'll take him to advance. And then, how about this battle? Alex Mickelson, Guido Andrazi. Mickelson, of course, the 19-year-old who came to all of our attention when he reached that final in Newport. And he's a former junior Wimbledon doubles champion as well. A former Georgia commit who elected to turn pro. The 19-year-old in reaching the quarterfinals here in Cary. He's up to 111 in the live rankings. He's currently roughly 100 more points by the end of the season, and Mickelson will end the year inside the top 100. And, I mean, look, between Charlottesville, Knoxville, Champaign, you know we're going to see Mickelson at the big three indoor hardcore challengers to end the year. It's, you know, vibes of early Tommy, early Riley, who all went through that run. I think about the Noah Rubin bounce for, through that run, 2014-15-ish range I expect Mickelson to be the guy who takes that leap. You know, Eubank Shelton last year, obviously. I think this year it'll be all about Alex Mickelson. I think he'll be the Shelton. I think he'll be the Eubanks. He'll be the guy who sneaks into the top 100 to end the year. And then, obviously, we'll all have circled for a massive breakout come next season. So, again, 
you have one, two, three, four, five of your top eight seeds still alive in Kerry Mickelson, the favorite right now, 29.7%. Hijikata at 28%. Svida, 18.5%. Sandgren, 10%. Then there's a little bit of a dip after that. That's your Kerry challenger. Your other challengers as of right now, Shevchenko versus Kapriva, Federico Corio versus Francesco Mastre- uh, Mastrelli, who got a very good win today over Pedro Cachin. So... Good, typical challenger action in Poland, in France. Uh, Cressy's made a big push. He got a good win I saw yesterday over Quarantine Mute. Uh, you've got him, Mattia Bellucci, the talented young Italian, Richard Gasquet, Benjamin Bonzi, Radu Elbot, Gregoire Barre, a bunch of top 120 players in action in that indoor hardcore challenger in France. It's exactly what you'd expect. Juan Manuel Sarundolo, uh, Tarante, Sakamoto, Olivieri, all the guys in the Santa Cruz de la Sierra Challenger. And then last but certainly not least, we already have a final set. It'll be Terrence at Maine of France taking on Mark Pullmans of Australia for the Challenger title uh, in Guangzhou. You look for uh, at Maine. He has made three finals here this season, actually won a Challenger at, uh, back in August and He's currently sitting at a new career high. Number 173 is the 21-year-old from France, continuing to make a push. It's been a good year for French players making a push. Obviously, at the top, you have the Umber resurgence, Arthur Fee, Van Asha making their presence known. French tennis, French men's tennis had its first moment in about a decade here this season, and certainly we've noticed it here at Cracked Rackets. So that's all your ATP challenger-level action. Last two things just to discuss quickly, and I promise – Promise, promise, we will have podcasts for you all tomorrow. We'll have a podcast for you Sunday as well. Davis Cup update. Here we rock and roll. And again, it's group play stage right now. The big upset yesterday, the Netherlands knocking off the U.S. They got wins uh, for the Netherlands. I believe it was what uh, they win both singles rubbers, right? Yep, Botic, Vandesen, Schulp, 6-2 and two over Tommy. Greek Spore obviously knocks off Tiafo. There was the drama. Tiafo didn't like the ca- a call that was made. There was an overrule. Instead of replaying the point, they awarded it to Greek Spore in that third set breaker. Tiafo destroys his racket after the fact. He's awarded a point, uh, for, uh, given a point penalty, which awards the match to Greek Spore. Now, Krejcik and Rahm ultimately got a good win over Kulhoff and Middlecop to make it a 2-1 result. And obviously for the U.S., who is 1-1 one one now overall in the event, they're going to face, a, I would say, a tricky Finland team for a spot in the quarterfinals. But, you know, again, uh, I, I expect in the Netherlands, which that's a solid team, Griekspoor, Van de Senschkulp, Kuhlhoff, and, and uh, Kuhlhoff and Middelkoop. It's a solid squad. They belong in the quarterfinals. I know the Czechs advanced already. Serbia advanced today. Novak Djokovic playing. They knocked out Spain, which, by the way, means Davis Cup, which is the finals are hosted in Spain. Once again, not going to feature or not going to feature the host nation. I feel like that should never happen in a team global event where, again, home crowds and partisanship is encouraged. One of those rare times it is here in tennis. Nevertheless, the Czechs, the Serbians, they're through. And by the way, that Czech Republic team, for those of you curious, uh, it's a fun group. Lechechka, Majcek, Menzik, Pavlicek. I mean, they kind of upset, I would say, the Spaniards with Lechechka 6-5 and five over Davidovich Fokina. Majcek 4-4 four four over Zapata Mareas. Okay. 
Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Czech Republic, Serbia advancing. Uh, the interesting bracket, of course, is group number B, where uh, right now France, Australia, Great Britain, Switzerland, they are battling. I know earlier here on Friday, Murray got a win over probably Dom Stricker or whoever it was. It was maybe Marc-Andre Hussler. I saw Stan Wawrinka continues to pile on to the struggles of Cam Norrie. Norrie knocked out in straight sets by Stan you know, Great Britain wins. They'll move to 2-0, and and I'm pretty sure that clinches them a spot in uh, – actually, no, it doesn't because three teams could end up 2-1 and in this scenario. Now, for what it's worth, uh, GB did get a 2-1 win over Australia. Australia, a 2-1 win over France. Who is on that French team? I'm glad you asked. Right now, competing this week for France, Manorino, Umbert, Mahout, and Roger Vaseline. Uh, you look on the Australian side of things, Demon Hour continuing uh, his fight, Kokonakis, Ebden, Purcell, Draper, Evans, Murray, Nori, Skupski, the British team. This is the best I mean, Group B is by far the best group. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. All four of those teams probably belong in the quarterfinals, and only two of them are going to get there. Uh, again, we'll keep an eye on that throughout the course of the weekend. And then shout out Canada. Shout out Diallo and Galarno. I mean, whether it was the upsets over Italy, over uh, Musetti and Senego, respectively. Then yesterday, Pospisil, 6-2 in the third over Leo Borg. Diallo, 4-3 over Elias Emer. Let's go Canada. Like, again, they don't have FAA or Shapovalov, and yet Canada is through to the quarterfinals. So, again, it, it is a very, very impressive run thus far for the Canadians. They're in the group with Chile, Italy, Sweden. I would say more than anything else, you would expect Italy to recover here, given the players they have on their roster. Sonego, Musetti. But, again, that's where things stand right now in the Davis Cups. Teams that have already advanced to the quarterfinals, the Netherlands, Czech Republic, Serbia, Canada. Again, if you're going to make time to watch any group, it's got to be group number B. France, Australia, Great Britain, Switzerland, good English, Alex. Group number B, no, group letter B. Leave it in, though, West off. Group letter B, France, Australia, Great Britain, Switzerland. That's the Davis Cup update. And then, I mean, with all due respect to Patrick Mortaglou and what they're trying to do with Ultimate Tennis Showdown, it's a tough weekend to try and find this uh, because, obviously, again, there's Davis Cup, there's tour-level action. As you all know, most importantly, the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation open on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Who's got time to watch the Ultimate Tennis Showdown this week? Uh, I did see it was floating on Tennis Channel earlier today. I saw Rublev was playing Schwartzman. I mean, you got all the nicknames, right? I like that they call Chris Eubanks the Rocket. Uh, we had a teammate in high school, Rashab Nayak, the original Rocket. Um, one of many of the Rockets we've seen in the history of tennis, but... I know they've got a bunch of guys in action this weekend. And, you know, again, if you're looking for some big names, if you're looking for some laid-back tennis, uh, certainly keep an eye on UTS as well. That said, that's your look at the weekend, a busy weekend in the pro tennis world. Of course, we will be back tomorrow to update you on everything as it unfolds. But most importantly, before we go, a reminder, the best action of the weekend's happening on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Starts 7 p.m. Central Time here on Friday. Our Oklahoma Tennis Foundation Open. It is group play. It is a world team tennis format. It's everything we love here at Cracked Rackets. Past, former, future 
college tennis stars. So be sure to join us again Friday. Play starts 7 p.m. Central Time. Tomorrow, our play starts 12 p.m. Central Time. So be on the lookout for all of that action again on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. He has one heck of a job day in, day out. Makes all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.